Lord, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And Lord, it could be today that we'd be in your presence. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to live every day in anticipation of your soon return. Father, as we go to your word, I pray you'd be our teacher. May your Holy Spirit fall afresh upon this place. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes to receive and hear from you. We ask that you'd bless this time. Man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Out of the rain. In a place we can meet and worship our Savior. He's worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, isn't he? That was kind of weak, actually. Amen? There you go. All right. I know we like to nap when it's raining. You know, you're at home and it's raining outside and you get all... Don't do that in here. I'm going to have to call you out. Don't do that. All right? I'm just kidding. All right. A couple quick things. I would encourage you to come to the movie tonight. If you're not into time... There's no time travel. We know that. But it really is a pretty powerful movie too, where most of what is happening in the world today desensitizes us to sin. This movie will resensitize you to sin to make you yet again realize that things are indeed sinful and that we need to flee from them. So I want to encourage you to come tonight. A couple quick prayer requests. Um, Lori Lee, I've mentioned her to you before, a woman that my wife worked with at Baymont with cancer, not given much time to live. Her, her husband was a firefighter who died a few years ago. And so unless the Lord does a miracle, she'll be leaving three kids without either parent. Uh, she feels great about it in that she knows where she's headed, but she's concerned for her kids as any mom would be. So be praying for her. I was just told also uh, about a young girl by the name of Maya from Baymont, seven years old, really bad pneumonia, having to have surgery because of it, airlifted to Stanford. And then also Rebecca Franks, who fellowships here, and she too is at Stanford right now, going through a real difficult time. So be in prayer for them. And hey, if, you're, if you know of people in the body that are, are going through a difficult time, please let us know so we can pray. Because it's hard for, you know, we, we want to know, but we, someone needs to tell us, okay? So please do that. All right. Well, this morning we're going to pick up and continue on where we left off last week. And we're going to continue looking at 2 Timothy. So turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, we're continuing to look at this pastoral epistle written by one pastor to another pastor. By the Apostle Paul, who is in a cave, uh, in jail, in a dark, cold place, awaiting his imminent death. He's going to be killed not long after this, after he writes this. This is really his last will and testament, 2 Timothy. And he's writing it to his young son in the faith, as we know, who's living during a very difficult time to be a Christian, let alone a pastor. This is a time when Nero is reigning, and Nero has declared all-out war against Christians. And if you're a Christian in those days, they were being fed to wild animals, they were being covered in pitch and set on fire, persecution was incredible, and the easiest thing to do would be to walk away and reject the Lord if you want to fit in with the world, and that's exactly what much of the church was doing. And here is Timothy, a man who was known to be timid and fearful. And so Paul is writing them this letter to encourage him, because imagine if persecution is heavy on the Christians, imagine what it would be like for a man who was pastoring a church in a pagan city that was filled not only with sexual immorality and idolatry, but also this incredible persecution. So this letter is written by the Apostle Paul, and unlike the first letter where he was just encouraging them, you know, how to conduct the church, the second letter really emphasizes, again, with things having gotten worse, 
to stand up in the midst of persecution, to really make a stand for the Lord when things are difficult. Now, the great thing about persecution, and you might say, how can there be anything great about persecution, is we find out where we're at with the Lord when persecution comes. When you turn on the fire, you find out what things are made of. You know, if it's made out of wood or clay, it's going to burn up. But if it's made out of gold or silver, it's going to be refined in the fire. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And so, he's exhorting Timothy And he's exhorting the believers at the time. And as we've seen in the previous chapters, I won't go into all of it, but the first chapter, he talked about living a life that would impact eternity, being a man or a woman of prayer, passing your faith on to the next generation, stirring up the gifts, not being ashamed of the gospel. When he gets to chapter 2, he's talking to Timothy and exhorting him with some examples. Be like a teacher who makes disciples. Be like a soldier who's focused on the task at hand. Be like an athlete who's obedient. And be like a farmer who's hardworking and patient even when no one's watching. Then the last two weeks in this chapter, we looked at, the second half of this chapter, we looked at keeping the main thing the main thing. And we talked about, uh, instead of focusing on our circumstances having, and the temporal, temporal difficulties of life, that we need to have an eternal focus. And guys, if you don't remember anything else I say to you this morning, one of the things we've been talking about is when trials are going on, two words, remember Jesus. No matter what's going on, remember Jesus. He's faithful. He's in control. I, you know what, guys? I cannot imagine living life without Him. I can't even imagine. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know God. Can I encourage you that God created you to have a relationship with Him? And you don't have to leave here without Him. Amen? And maybe you know Him you've not been walking with Him. It's time to make Him the priority again. And we'll be talking about that in the message this morning. But He told them to remember Jesus. He told them to be faithful to the calling and then lastly, last week, he really was encouraging him not to be distracted or discouraged by those who would come alongside and try to get his eyes off of the main thing. You know, keep the main thing the main thing. And my heart is, I pray that if anybody was offended last week, forgive me, because that's not my heart. But I was talking real clearly about how it's frustrating when you're seeing God do a mighty work in someone's life. People are getting saved. God's doing great things. You're maybe sharing the Lord with somebody, and somebody comes up and wants to know if Adam had a belly button think about that okay right he wasn't born of one but you know that it's some bizarre off the wall question you're like dude are you paying attention obviously they're not and the point he was making to timothy was timothy don't allow these secondary non-essential issues to get your eyes off the main thing he was saying you know what your life is short You, you you could die tomorrow we don't have any promise of tomorrow and so instead of arguing with other Christians about secondary issues that don't even matter, why don't we reach out to the lost with the love of Christ? Why don't we devote our time in doing things that will impact eternity instead of bickering over things that don't matter? Now, I want to make this very clear. I'm not talking about sincere questions. If if you've been reading your Bible, do you have a sincere question? That's what the pastors are here for. That's what the other people in the body are here for. We can absolutely inquire of those things. But it's not taking time to argue and fight with our brothers and sisters in Christ when people are dying and going to hell without Jesus. Amen? And so he's telling them, keep the main thing, the main thing. Timothy, focus on what really matters. And so that brings us now to this morning's text. Because remember, the enemy would love nothing more. If he can't destroy you, he'll distract you. If he can get your eyes off what you're called to do and get you just to be focused on other stuff, he's rendered you ineffective for the kingdom of God. 
And so now, as we move on to this morning's text, we're going to see the pattern of both encouragement and exhortation continue as Paul gives both a word of encouragement in regards to the strength and surety of his word, no matter how great the attacks may be against you, and a word of exhortation as to how those who truly believe are to respond in the midst of persecution and temptation. How you and I are to be tools in the hands of our master. So if you're a note taker this morning, I titled the message, Tools in the Hands of the Master. And we're going to see in these short eight verses, nine verses, three things. Three ways that we can be useful tools in the hands of our master. Guys, can I say something, just speaking from my heart, as your pastor, my opinion. I think there are way too many lukewarm Christians today. Amen? Way too much of us giving God third, fourth, fifth, ninth, or twelfth place on the list. We would never say that out loud, but our actions would say that He is fifth, or eighth, or tenth. Guys, He only belongs in one place first. Amen? And every number in between. And guys, our time, our life is but a vapor. And we're going to stand before Almighty God one day. And so he's exhorting Timothy from this very perspective, make your life count for the kingdom of God. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. The things that we spend all of our time on, most of them are wood, hay, and stubble. They're chaff. They're going to blow away. But maybe live lives and realize that God has a calling on all of us. So, useful tools in the hands of the Master. Three points. Standing on a solid foundation. The way that you can be a useful tool in the hand of the Master is to be standing on a solid foundation. Number two, by being a vessel for honor. We'll see that contrasted between a vessel for honor and a vessel for dishonor in the middle of the text. And then lastly, being a servant of the Lord. So a useful tool in the hand of the master, standing on a solid foundation, being a vessel for honor, and then thirdly, being a servant of the Lord. So let's begin at verse 19 of 2 Timothy, a useful tool in the hands of the master, starting off with standing on the solid foundation. Look what it says there in verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Nevertheless. So he's obviously tying it back to the previous verses. So he's saying, having sounded the alarm of the severe attack that Christians were under, the persecution from without, being imprisoned, being fed to wild animals, being set on fire, the false teaching from within, the profane and idle babblings, the increasing to more ungodliness, the false teacher's messages spreading like cancer, as we saw last week. And what he says is, nevertheless... Notwithstanding, in light of everything that's happening, you know what? The foundation, the solid foundation of God still stands. Guys, I don't care what our city council votes for, God is still God. Amen? It doesn't matter who gets voted in, who gets voted out, what laws change, God is still God, He's in control, and they can't vote Him out of office. Amen? And so no matter what happens in the world around us, we need to remember, and this is the sentiment he's given Timothy. Timothy, persecution's heavy. Yes, it is. False preachers, false teachers within the body who are teaching lies. Absolutely true. But you know what? Let me tell you something, Timothy. Nevertheless, the sure foundation of God still stands. He's still God. He's still in control. You know what? Men may be shaken and fall away. But the kingdom of God, the word of God, the church of God, and the true followers of God cannot and will not be. It says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. God's Word stands forever. God, no matter what the world does to it. Now, should we in the middle of all this be standing up for the truth? Yes, we should. But know, and know that God can use us to help it stand. But false doctrine is like cancer. It eats away, it spreads, it destroys. But the Word of God brings life, and life more abundant as it tells us. So nevertheless, Timothy, no matter what you see going on around you, God's still in control. And its sure foundation still stands. All the false teachers and all the false doctrine cannot destroy the truth of God's Word. All the outward attacks and persecution in the world can't stop it. God has a purpose, God has a plan, God has a strategy, and it's not going to fail. And it doesn't matter how many fall away, how many reject the truth, how many go their own way after the the profane and vile babblings he talked about last week. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God's word stands. Again, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Now it says here in the second half of verse 19, it says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. The word seal here means a mark or an inscription. And on the solid foundation that we stand upon as Christians, he's saying the church has two things inscribed on this foundation he's talking about. And we're going to see that one of them speaks of the sovereignty of God, and the other one speaks of the responsibility of man. That yes, God is in control, and God is faithful, and you know, without Him we can do nothing. And at the same time, God desires to use us in a mighty way. And so we're going to see two parts of the seal upon this solid foundation. And the first one speaks of the sovereignty of God. Look what it says there. The Lord knows those who are His. Guys, you can fool other people into think, making them think you're a Christian, but that doesn't matter. Because you can fool men, and you can fool the world, but you can't fool God. And the Lord knows those who are His. And He knows those who are playing the Christian game. You know, when I was a youth pastor for all those years, one of the things that was such a burden on my heart is so many teenagers are really good at playing the game. Pretending to be a Christian at youth group, but then at school, their life's a disaster. But you know what? That doesn't stop with teenagers. We can come in here and raise our hands and praise God all we want and walk right out that door and live just like the world. We can go to work and and work in a place where nobody knows we're saved because we don't have any attributes of godliness in our lives. Guys, the Lord knows who is His. And you know what? I don't know who's His, only He does. Amen? Now I know that I'm His, and you can know that you're His, because the Word of God tells us that. It says in Romans 8, the Spirit Himself bears witness with us that we are children of God. He lets you know if you're His child. And it's not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? Sometimes people think that's arrogant. You know for sure you're going to heaven. Yes, I do. Why? Not because I'm a great guy, because I serve a great God. Amen? And he promised in his word that he would never leave me nor forsake me, that he's adopted me into his family, and I'm ha-ha, heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. Amen? I'm going. And so the good news is that I know that for sure, that not by my good works, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven. But here's the thing, guys. We can pretend to be Christians all we want. And coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than jumping in the ocean makes you a fish. Amen? 
You need to be walking with the Lord, having a relationship with God. And you youth group kids, it's not mom and dad's God, it needs to be your God. Amen? It's got to go beyond being what mom and dad believe to what I believe. And he's saying, I, God says, I know who are mine. I know who those are truly following me. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His, and then He also knows those who aren't His. God's system of truth has a solid, unshakable foundation. And first of all, the first thing that must be true for you to be a Christian is you must know God. Amen? Does God know you? You know, a lot of people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We all can be. Amen? It's his desire that none should perish, no, not one. He wants us all to be adopted into his family, but he will never force you to be a part of his family. Never. He offered salvation universally, must be accepted individually. I used to use this illustration in youth group. You know, I know a lot about, and I'd pick someone famous, Michael Jordan. I know a lot about him. I know he went to college. I know how many championships he won, six. He played for the Chicago Bulls, Washington Wizards. I know a lot about him. But you know what? If I got in an elevator with Michael Jordan, he would have no idea who I am. Never met me, no clue who I am, and would probably get security guards to remove me if I got too close, right? And here's the thing, guys. People can know a lot about God, but that doesn't mean that you know him. You can even know his resurrection story you can know the some things about the bible but it's not about knowing about god it's about knowing god having an intimate relationship with him does he know you do you know him it says in matthew 7 not everyone that says unto me lord lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven many will say to me in that day lord lord have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name did we not cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Guys, it's knowing God that's what it's all about. And if you don't know him, get to know him today. Amen? Today's the day of salvation. Then it says, not only do we see the omniscience of God, he's all-knowing and all-powerful, we can't fool him. But also, look what it says here, because there is a response for us. How do we know that God really knows us and we really know Him? That we have a relationship with Him? There should be some fruit. And notice what the fruit is. Look what it says in the second half of the verse. The second seal that is on that foundation. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. We're going to get all legalistic now. You're going to start telling me that I need to start obeying God and following some rules. Guys, it shouldn't be a got to, it should be a get to. Amen? We should learn to trust that God knows what's best for us. You know, I don't give my kids rules because I'm a no fun bummer dad trying to keep them from having fun, though they think that's the case sometimes. I do that because I love them and I believe I know what's best for them. And our Heavenly Father gives us His Word because He loves us and He knows what's best for us. And sadly, we make the mistake often of thinking that we walk an aisle and we pray a prayer and that's where it all ends. You know, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, and now he's my savior. I got my get out of hell free card in my wallet. I might even have a baptismal certificate that I folded up and put right next to it. I'm set for sure. You know what's interesting to me? The word savior is in the New Testament 24 times. The word Lord is in the New Testament over 600 times. Guys, 
He must, not, must be more than Savior. He must be Lord. Amen? The Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will be saved. Right? You'll be saved. It's only if He's Lord are we saved. And sadly, what he's talking about here is those who make a proclamation, but there's no change. Love that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. What about the change? Where is it? We walk the aisle, we pray the prayer, we call ourselves Christians, but we live just like the world. Guys, we're aliens here. We ought to be like that guy in the movie tonight, walking around looking like we don't belong. Because really, we don't. Amen? Are we not, is it raining still? What's going on? Am I, am I talking to myself? All right. So there is a responsibility of you and I. Again, not just saying we belong to the Lord and then it doesn't matter how I live. But our actions must, it says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart. Walk away. Turn away. No longer dwell in. We as Christians are not to continue in our old sinful behavior. Wait a minute, Pastor Dave. Are you saying if we sin, we're not going to heaven? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the way we see sin ought to be radically different. Amen? Where before we were slaves to it and we ran to it and we enjoyed it and we went with it. Now when we sin, we're grieved by it and it brings us to our knees. Amen? That's the difference. How we see sin, how we view sin, how we respond to sin. He's saying depart from it. Don't wallow in it. Don't dwell in it. Don't remain in it. Now, I know this is going to get people in their kitchen, but I, you know, I love you guys, and you know it. Some of you are here, and you are not married, and you're sleeping with somebody. You need to repent. Some of you are here, and you're getting drunk, and you're doing drugs, or you're involved in, in looking at pornography on the internet, or you're looking at other things you shouldn't be looking at. You have not put a covenant over your eyes. You're not being faithful in your marriage. You're not being the spiritual leader in your home. Oh man, Pastor, I, did, I, you know, I could have stayed home. Guys, he died on the cross for us. Can't we live for him? And it's time that we stop playing Christianity and acting like it's okay to call ourselves Christians and just live a sinful life and disregard everything he said. And what we're really saying is, God, I know better than you. I know what your word says, but I got some real reasons why I do what I do. I got some reasons why I cheat on my taxes, because, you know, the government really doesn't know what they're doing anyway, so I'm just going to... Guys, we submit to the authorities God's placed over us. We give our boss a full day of work, amen? We get there early, we stay late, and you know what? We ought to be the best worker in the building. Guys, everything we do ought to bring glory and honor to his name. Our, Our boss ought to say, I want 50 more people just like him. We need to depart from sinful behavior and not act like it's okay. Man, God's grace, we should not cheapen it. Amen? It says in Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Now, all that being said, if you've blown it, He's a God of grace. Amen? And if you're here today and you've blown it, get right with Him. And you might say, well, it's just too hard. You know, it'll cost me too much. Do it anyway. God will bless it. Amen? He will absolutely bless it. He's a faithful and a loving God. As, as Christians, we must not cheapen His grace by making excuses for our sin and then continuing on in it. Peter said this in 1 Peter, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your 
Hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Who's He talking to? Every one of us in the room. Be holy, for I am holy. Now again, are we ever going to get to the place where we're sinless? What's the answer? No, but we can sin less. Amen? We can walk in the center of His will. And we can, when we sin, be broken over it and driven to our knees and get right with Him. I've said it many times, I'll say it again. I believe one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity is the distance of time between when you sin and when you repent. It ought to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Amen? It ought to get to the point where the word is halfway out of your mouth and you're already, oh Lord, forgive me. Amen? That's a sign of somebody who's listening to the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be sinless, but we should sin less. And our whole attitude about sin should change. We should depart from it. Guys, you will not be a useful hand in the tool of the Master if you're living in sinful disobedience to God and making excuses for it. Then you wonder, man, I don't know why my life isn't fruitful. It will never be fruitful till you get right with God. Amen? Don't you want a fruitful life? Don't you want to impact the, the world for the kingdom of God? Don't you want to see Santa Cruz turn right side up for the kingdom? But how's that going to happen if we continue on in sin and act like it's not a big deal? It is a big deal. So a useful tool in the hand of the master standing on the solid foundation. Even in the midst of outward persecution and inward deception. No, you need to know the Lord. That's when you're justified. And then you need to depart from sin or depart from iniquity. And that's being sanctified, right? Justified just as if I never sinned. He knows me. He's adopted me into his family. And now I'm being sanctified, being set apart unto the Lord until the day I'm glorified. Amen? So it's not good enough. To be justified, we need to continue to grow in our faith, more sanctified in our walk, and more useful to the kingdom of God. So a useful tool in the hand of the master, number two, a vessel for honor. Let's look at verse 20. But in the great house, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now this is interesting. The great house here is a picture of the body of Christ, the church. So within the church, there are vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. Now, some people, there's a couple interpretations of this verse. I'll give you both because I'll be honest with you. I don't have you know, clear proof which one is correct. But let me tell you both. One is that the, honor, the vessels for dishonor are the false teachers within the church that aren't even saved. Others believe that the vessels for dishonor are you know, kind of like Samson, someone with a saved soul and a wasted life. Someone who's been born again, but is having no impact on the world. And you know what? Both of them in context could be true. And in either case, you don't want to be a vessel for dishonor. Amen? You know, some vessels are made of gold. You know, the golden goblets that they drank out of. You know, the, the golden crowns they wore on their head. And some things are made of wood or clay. You know, you can be, you know, a golden goblet in the church of God or an ashtray. Amen? I don't want to be an ashtray. Amen? I want God to use my life for His glory and impact the world around us. I don't want to be a garbage basket in the kingdom of God. Amen? Really useful. It's a place we can dump our trash.
You know, it's interesting. Gold and silver are precious and able to endure the fire, and wood and clay melt when the heat gets turned up. And this is where you find out what kind of vessel you are is in the midst of persecution yet again. And this is, again, very clearly in the context of what he's talking about. The vessels for honor, when the heat gets turned up, just get purified. In the end, they become more and more pure as persecution comes. But the ones made of wood and clay get smoked. They burn up. And they don't even exist anymore. Vessels for honor or vessels for dishonor. Lord, use my life in a way that will impact eternity. So what differentiates between a vessel for honor and a vessel for dishonor? Between gold and silver and wood and clay? What makes some more useful than others? Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. Now wait a minute. Can we cleanse ourselves? What's the answer? It's not a trick question. I just read it. Yes, we can. Now, here's the point. We cannot cleanse ourselves unto salvation, but we can cleanse ourselves unto a place where we can be used by God. See, guys, if we are born again and new creations in Christ and He cleanses us, and He does, He does all the work in salvation. You don't do any of it. He does it all. You just receive it. But then after that point, now it's time for us to respond, just as we saw in the last verse, in verse 19, where we depart from iniquity. Now it's our turn to make ourselves usable for the kingdom of God. Guys, if we are not living for the Lord, what kind of testimony are we going to have for the world, before the world? Not much. So I do believe you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. You can be somebody who truly has been born again, but you're just a lukewarm Christian for 50 years, and you have no impact on the world. And I can think of nothing sadder than that. Very Well, there's something sadder. Not being saved at all. Amen? But may we not be content with being lukewarm. Again, he's not speaking of salvation because we cannot cleanse ourselves. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But what we can do is we can be in, walk in obedience and make ourselves more usable for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to make this clear. It doesn't mean that there are better Christians and worse Christians. We're all new creations in Him. But I do believe this. I do believe we can be more usable to the kingdom of God and less usable to the kingdom of God because of the way we're living our life. Guys, we can be harmful to the kingdom of God because of the way we lose our, use our, live our lives. Is that true or not? You call yourself a, you call yourself a Christian. You know, when I, when I was still working full time, every time a pastor got in trouble, people would come and tell me. Like, they're, like, like I know them or something. Just saw another one of your pastor buddies on TV. Found out he was sleeping with a bunch of women, stealing money. What do you think of that? I'm like, not real happy about it. But you know, there's this thing, well, he's a Christian. You know what? What has that person done? Brought harm to the cause of Christ. Amen? And why has he done it? He has not cleansed himself. He has not responded in obedience to the commands and the call of God as a believer who's been justified to continue to be sanctified more into the image of our Savior. Guys, you ought to be closer to God tomorrow than you were yesterday. Amen? Christianity is a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. You're not staying in the same spot. Amen? You really are. You're either growing or falling away. It's constant. And it's true. And we need to be pressing into the kingdom of God. He says there, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, more than likely the false doctrine and the false teachers and the vessels of dishonor he was just speaking of, 
And again, he's saying you need to cleanse yourself from those things. You need to be separated from the world and separated unto God. And if you do that, if you do those things, if you cleanse yourself, if you make steps to walk in holiness before God, here's what it says. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, false teaching, the dishonorable vessels, those things, he will be a vessel for honor. You want to be a vessel for honor? Cleanse yourself from the things of this world. Amen? Now, if anybody's been coming here more than a week, you know, we absolutely know and believe in the grace of God being what saves us. Amen? Amen. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking I'm teaching works-based salvation because that's not the case. But I do believe in fruit-bearing salvation. Amen? Once we've been saved, there will be fruit that is born out in our lives and people will be able to recognize that something has happened to us. We'll be vessels of honor. Then it says, sanctified and useful for the master. Now, does this blow you away that you can be useful for the master? That he can look down from heaven and say, you know what, I can use him. I can use her. That's an awesome thing. I just heard a message this last week, and he was talking about separate unto me Paul and Barnabas, and he was saying, why did he choose Paul and Barnabas? You know why? Because he knew he could use those guys. He knew they would be faithful. He knew they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one and can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. He's looking for men and women who are available and usable for his kingdom. And I want to tell you a great prayer. Here I am, Lord, use me. Lord, whatever it is, use me. Whatever I have to give up, I'm ready. Seek first the kingdom of God. Lord, you're first. You're the priority of my life. Lord, you want me to quit my job? I'll quit my job. You want me to move? I'll move. That's a hard prayer to pray. I'm pretty comfortable, actually. Not so much. It took me a long time to get that promotion. You know what, guys? God may keep you right where you are because where you are is ministry as well. Amen? But we need to be willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want to do with my life. And he's looking for those. And it says, sanctified. That word just means set apart. Useful for the master. A useful tool in the hands of the master. Close to God. Empty of ourselves. Poured out. Useful for him. And then it says, prepared for every good work. The master chooses his cleanest vessel when he's serving something to his guest. You know, if somebody comes over to your house, you don't go get the dirty dishes. Right? Go get, get him something to drink and pour it into a dirty glass. It's covered in garbage. You don't do that. Well, you might if you don't like the person, right? Then you need to repent and stop it. But here's the thing. Here's the point. What we do instead is we give them the cleanest and the best that we have. If one of them is dirty, then the other would probably keep that one for ourselves before we would give it to a guest. And that, you know what? The same is true for the Lord. He's looking for those because, guys, we have refreshment within us, the person of the Holy Spirit. But if we're keeping the refreshment that dwells in us in a dirty glass, it taints it. If we're walking around and dwell by... By the way, did you ever think about the fact that when you sin, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you? You ever think about that? I do. All right, Holy Spirit, come on with me. Let's go watch that. It's garbage, but come, come have a seat next to me. Hey, Lord, come sit here next to me while I'm cheating. Come here, Lord. Ooh. 
grips your heart, doesn't it? If it doesn't, it ought to. And so the Lord is looking for those who are cleansed and set apart to Him, prepared for every good work. Again, it's not us doing all of the work, but us responding to His work. And when we respond, we then become tools in the hands of our Master, and we can be used in a way that will bring glory and honor to His name. One set apart unto Him, one who can be used mightily by Him. And again, not that some Christians are better than others, but I do believe some are more usable than others. But that can change right now, can't it? We get right with God, we can become usable by God. And notice it says, in every good work. That doesn't just mean at the church. Every good work means being a godly example in the neighborhood, being a godly example in the office, being a godly example on your campus at school, making a stand for the Lord wherever you go. Are you usable and available, or have you allowed yourself to be tainted in sin and gossip or false doctrine? So just how do we cleanse ourselves? Look at verse 23. So how do we do this? Flee also youthful lust. Now, that word flee, best way to think of it is run away. Keep running. You know what, guys? We are not to see how close we can get to sin and not fall into it. All right, Pastor Dave's opinion. Let me make that. Real, let me say it twice. Pastor Dave's opinion. Pastor Dave's opinion. Okay, my opinion. What in the world would a Christian be doing hanging out in a bar? I'm trying to figure that out. Well, I'm just going there to witness to people and uh, liar. Bad company corrupts good morals. Amen. You become like those you hang out with. I used to tell youth group kids, "You're hanging out with the stoners. You're a stoner." Amen? If you hang out with the kids that are getting in trouble, you're on your way to getting in trouble. And guys, if we're hanging out with the world, we're going to become like the world. And it's so important for us to flee youthful lust. Not, you know, can we hold fire to our bosom and not get burned, the Bible says? Absolutely not. Can we walk through a, you know, a muddy field and come out clean the other side? Of course not. So we need to pull a Joseph. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife was trying to get him to come lie with her? He left his coat and bailed. And you know she was good looking or he would have just stood there and snatched the coat out of her hand, right? You know, she'd been ugly, but he said, give me my coat, you know. But it was a temptation. So he ran. And you know what? Even when we run, sometimes there are consequences. Flee, take flight. The word lust there is not just sexual temptation, though that certainly is included, but any fleshly desire, the pursuit of sinful pleasure, the longing for fame or glory. You know what? It nauseates me to see how many TV shows are all about people trying to make themselves famous. There's only one famous one. Amen? Only he should be famous. Less of me, more of him. I don't want anybody to know my name. I want them all to know his name. Amen? Because my name won't help them. Sorry, what's that going to do for you? Not much. But every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we need to flee from youthful lust. Don't be entertained by it. Don't camp out near it. That's what happened to Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, remember? 
He looked up and saw it, then he moved toward it before he knew it, he was in the gates, and then all of a sudden, he was ready to give up his daughters to be prostituted with the men of the city. What happened? He moved toward Sodom. Guys, we can't move toward the world and not expect there to be consequences. We need to flee youthful lust. But notice this, it's not only what we flee, but what we pursue. How, do we, how are we usable? How are we on, you know, vessels for honor? We flee youthful lust, but... We also, look what it says, pursue righteousness. We run from lust and we run to righteousness. We run to faith. We run to love. We run to peace. Cleansing is not just avoiding the bad things, but pursuing the right things. The word justification there, or righteousness, means to be justified. It's a condition of being, making, being made acceptable before God. It is the opposite of iniquity. Righteousness is the opposite of sinfulness. And he's saying, so run away from sin, run away from lust, and run unto righteousness. Guys, you will never regret running unto righteousness. Amen? You're never going to sit and go, man, I'm really bummed out that I just honored God this entire week and didn't get in any trouble. What a bummer and a drag that was. You know, it's interesting. The Bible tells us your sin will surely find you out. Amen? And God loves you enough because those the Lord loves, He disciplines. I used to tell my kids, one of my children's friends came to me and said, said, you know, your kids do something one time. I can do it 200 times and never get caught. Your kids do it once. They get caught every time. I go, God loves my kids. <laughs> your sin will find you out. And righteousness is a is something we need to pursue. The condition of being acceptable before God. Faith, the word there means assurance or belief, moral conviction, full reliance upon Christ. We need to pursue full reliance upon Christ. Guys, I said this last week. We get to the point, we try to get so much money in the bank, we don't have to be desperate for God anymore. I want to get just so much money, so much enough money in the bank and just a good enough job that I no longer have to be desperate. Now I can be comfortable and relaxed. And you know what? May we never get there. May we always be desperate. That's the place we need to stay. He also says they're not only pursuing righteousness and faith, but love. The word love, give you one guess. What do you think it is? Agape. An agape, a selfless love for God and His people. And we also pursue peace. The word there is quietness, quietness or rest. Then it says, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Notice that it's not only what we pursue, but who we hang out with. Who should we be hanging out with? Other like-minded believers. It's interesting, I got an email not long ago with somebody who basically was mocking me for that, saying that when she was attending our church, she said, well, I got all caught up in this, you know, I, I got rid of all my secular music, and I was only hanging out with Christians, and you know what, and I've woken up to the fact now that I got, you know, I got all my ACDC records back, and I got all my other stuff back, and I'm hanging out with the, the world again, and you know, because I need to be salt and light. And all I wrote back was, so how's that working out? You know, you're listening to Highway to Hell and, instead of worshiping God. How, help me out with that. Sin City instead of worshiping God. How does that work? I don't, again, oh, Pastor Day being legalistic. No. Let's, you know what, guys? God created music for worship. Amen? And Oh, man, that's just so stinking narrow, man. I, you know, God can speak to me through secular music. No, He can't. And He won't. Amen? Why would He? We walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? 
So why would we, you know, Jimi Hendrix is not ministering to you. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Guys, you become like those you hang out with. And cleansing not only what we flee from, but what we pursue and who we hang out with. Here's all you need to know to know about someone's character. Here's what you need to know. This is it. What they flee from, what they pursue, and who they hang out with. What do they run from? What do they pursue? And who do they hang out with? There's a recipe to know someone's character. The Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron and that bad company corrupts good morals. So we need to be hanging out with those who will sharpen us, not draw us away from God. Then it says this, not only flee and pursue, but avoid. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. He's speaking to a pastor and he says, don't spin your wheels debating again these secondary issues. These distractions can keep you from what God would have you to do. Your time is limited, our message eternal, and we must not let Satan distract us from the task at hand. Let's be busy about God's work, amen? I lost you guys like completely or something. All right. A useful tool in the hands of the master, standing on the solid foundation, being a vessel for honor cleansing ourselves, being separated from the world and to the Lord, fleeing youthful lusts, pursuing righteousness, hanging out with other believers, avoiding foolish disputes. That's a man or a woman God can use. Last point, a servant of the Lord. And look what it says, verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Someone who's being used, the word servant there means a slave. Imagine if we had, you know, they call them, you know, schools of ministry. They'd probably be more accurate to call them schools of slavery. Now, you might lose some, you might, might lose some people signing up. I'm signed up for school slavery. I'm, I'm giving my life over in total bondage, you know, binding myself to God completely. But that's what God's called us to be. Bound to Him. And the servant of the Lord signifies Timothy's role as a pastor. And then these are the qualifications to be a servant. He says, don't quarrel. The word there is to strive, to war, or to dispute. But be gentle to all. Gentleness by the world is seen as weakness, isn't it? Oh, he's a real gentleman. That's almost seen as being weak. But as a mark of spiritual maturity and faithfulness by the Lord. The word gentle there means affable or mild. It says, to all. We need to be gentle with both believers and unbelievers, with the faithful and with the lost, looking beyond who they are physically to their desperate needs spiritually. Then he says this, he must be able to teach. Now remember there's a pastoral epistle. If a pastor can't teach, that's like a surgeon who doesn't know how to use a scalpel. What's the point? And so he's saying very clearly that to be faithful to his calling, he must be able to to teach. Then it says, patient. Now, anybody else struggle with that or just me? Lord, give me patience right now, right? And often we go through the trials because God's teaching us patience in the midst of difficulty. And we need to learn that we pray in our time and God answers in His time. And His, his timing is perfect. And His ways are perfect. But Pastor Dave, you understand, I've been praying for this for six years. Well, that's because Either you're not ready or the other half of the equation isn't ready. And God's going to do it in His timing and it'll be worth the wait. Amen? So be patient. 
We're almost done. Verse 25. In humility, correcting those in opposition. A pastor is called to correct false teachers, those who are rebellious and divisive and lost, but he's called to do it in love. When you're, when you're ministering to somebody, make sure you do it in love. It's not tr- truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That is why we must speak the truth in love. Somebody comes to your door, and they're a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or something else. The last thing you need to do is be self-righteous. Amen? They're sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and we need to speak the truth to them in love. Amen? No matter what people's background, if the Satanist comes to your door, truth and love. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. When people see the love of God in us, they want to know the God of love that we walk with. The ultimate goal is not to win the argument, but to lovingly and humbly share the truth that they may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look what it says there. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Guys, I can already t- I can tell right off the bat whether or not it's worth my time to talk to somebody about something by their attitude. Isn't that true? If someone comes in and it's like, you know what, this is a waste of time. But if somebody lovingly comes and shares something with you, and there's been times when people have come at me like that and they've even been right and I just don't want to hear it. Amen? But we need to come to them in love because isn't that what Jesus did? Love them. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Amen? And so they ought to see that love in our lives. Last verse. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Do you understand that we all got to serve somebody? Amen? I just said, I just was ripping on on secular music and now I'm quoting Bob Dylan. That was his Christian album when he was a Christian for a minute and a half, right? But you know, the lyrics, whoever wrote it, they were good lyrics because you got to serve somebody, right? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And every one of us has a master we follow. Somebody's on the throne of everybody's life in this room. And who is it? And it needs to be the Lord. You know what? The people that don't know God are, are spiritually blind. And we need to love them enough to reach out to them in love and point them to the truth. Amen? Instead of being self-righteous and going, how stupid are you anyway? There before the grace of God is every one of us. Amen? We were once, we were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. By the way, go see that movie, Amazing Grace. I don't recommend a lot of movies, but I'm recommending that one. And it's, you know, there's one line in there. I'm in the movie theater with a bunch of people, and I said amen so loud, and people in the four rows in front of me all turned around, but that's all right. <laughs> but at one point, the guy says, and I, and I may misquote it, so when you see the movie, I'm, I'm, this is the best of my recollection, but he makes this statement. He basically says, I've come to the understanding that I am an incredible sinner, but Jesus is an incredible Savior. And you've got to love that when that's in Santa Cruz with a full theater. Amen? So be praying for that movie. Let me encourage you to go see it. So, a useful tool in the hands of the Master. We stand on the solid foundation. He knows us. He's adopted us. And also, we depart from iniquity. We respond to Him. Number two. 
a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. How do we do that? We cleanse ourselves from sin. We flee from youthful lust. We pursue righteousness and love and peace. And we avoid disputes that don't matter. And then thirdly, a servant of the Lord. How can you recognize a servant of the Lord? They're gentle. They're patient. They humbly stand for truth. And they do all of it that others may come to Christ. Guys, can you imagine if the Holy Spirit would just fall upon us all, and He's willing, it's up to us, and we were to walk and live this kind of life we've seen in this chapter this morning, where we departed from iniquity, and where we pursued righteousness, and where we were humble and loving to a world that needs to, to, to know God. You know what? The reason people get caught up in things that are so foolish to us because we are no longer blind... Things like, you know, chanting to the moon god or arranging their furniture to get better positive energy or whatever it is. You know, we can laugh about it, but the truth is, it is so sad that people would put their faith in moving their couch than in trusting in God. Amen? And you know what? When they're doing that, I see that as an opportunity to say they're looking for something and what they need is Jesus. Amen? And let's point them to the true and living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. And we would ask, Lord, that I just come before you humbly and ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Father, not just with us or in us, but upon us. Help us to walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, stir up the gifts within us. And then, Father, I pray that we would not continue in sin that grace may abound. But Father, if there are those here who are just living in sinful situations, that today when the service is over, they'd come up and, and seek prayer from one of the pastors or someone else here and make a decision to get right with you. Lord, not because you'll love them more, but because, Lord, you can use them more. And their lives will no longer be hypocritical, but Lord, their lives will be a testimony to your grace. Father, I pray for each of us, we all have hidden areas we struggle with. Lord, may we bring them out into the light that you might take care of them. Father, I pray also that we would be vessels of honor. Lord, fleeing youthful lust, cleansing our own ways, pursuing you. And Lord, that we would have the heart of a servant. That we would look at this world and we would, our hearts would break for them the way your heart does. Lord, may we see the people of Santa Cruz through your eyes. Lord, you love them so much, you'd rather die than live without them. And Lord, we pray even now you begin to soften hearts and open eyes of people to the need, their need for you. Give us divine appointments to represent you, Lord. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that you're here in our midst. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, I pray, if we've been exhorted, Lord, if we've been even rebuked, that we would not walk away bitter, but we would come humbly before you, desiring, Lord, to make you the passion of our lives. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand for worship song.